Lord Bloodraw's nerve-wracking auditorium is made possible by Lord Bloodraw's Patreon supporters. Lord Bloodraw keeps the love of vintage horror and science fiction alive with three weekly shows. The Nerve-Wracking Auditorium, Lord Bloodraw's Nerve-Wracking Theater, the long-running syndicated TV series presenting horror and science fiction feature films, and the Patreon-exclusive series Lord Bloodraw's Cathode Zone, presenting episodes of classic genre TV shows. For more info, and to see the premiere episode of Lord Bloodraw's Cathode Zone, go to patreon.com slash lordbloodraw. Ah, I'm so glad you're here. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Lord Bloodraw. I host horror and science fiction films on my TV series, Lord Bloodraw's Nerve Rack and Theater, but here, in this cool, intimate darkness, I'll be presenting tales of horror and the uncanny solely for you, alone. In this auditorium within your mind, you will coalesce the settings and the players from the ether of your imagination. Your terror will be your own creation. This is the sorcery of sound, the subtle magic of old-time radio. Horror. Horror. at the door. You will not need them. This is Lord Bloodraw's nerve-wracking auditorium. To understand the world, human beings categorize everything in the world. Animal, vegetable, mineral, good, bad, living, non-living. And in this way, everything in the world can be understood. This is the foundation of human intelligence. And when humans experience something that can't be so easily categorized, the cracks in that foundation begin to show. Here is a tale of one such incident. From Haunted comes the tale, What Was It? Haunted Stories of the Supernatural. What Was It by Fitzjames O'Brien? 
adapted for radio by Derek Cotinot, starring Peter Marinka as Harry, Blaine Fairman as Hammond, and Helen Horton as Mrs. Moffat. Haunted. considerable diffidence that I approach this strange narrative. The events which I purpose detailing are so extraordinary in character that I am quite prepared to meet with an unusual amount of incredulity and scorn. Having said that, I wish now to relate some facts which came to pass July last in the year 1854 and which in the annals of the mysteries of physical science are wholly unparalleled. I had just arrived at number 28, 26th Street, New York City, a large rambling house previously owned by a Mr. Arbuthnot, a well-known New York merchant who became the center of a gigantic financial swindle and who, as a result, committed suicide abroad. The house, after remaining empty for years, gained a reputation for being haunted, but this did not deter a certain Mrs. Moffat from turning it into a reputable boarding house. No, Mr. Crown. Neither I nor my guests believe all the stories put about by the neighbors. In fact, Mr. Crown, when Mrs. Moffat challenged us to follow her here, we couldn't wait to accept. Dr. Hammond here was at my previous abode. I owned a smaller boarding house some two blocks away. But when I heard that this property was for sale, well, at a reasonable cost, now I felt I had to jump at such a bargain, despite its reputation. Pray tell me, Mrs. Moffat, what stories were circulating about the house? Oh, strange noises and the like. The caretaker and his wife, who were looking after the property during those three years, spoke of furniture being moved, of, uh, of unseen steps on the stairs in broad daylight, the rustle of silk dresses, the usual things. And what happened to the caretakers? Oh, the estate agent dismissed them. That's right, isn't it, Mrs. Moffat? Well, he had no hope of selling the property while they were spreading such morbid tales. He had to get rid of them. Then, when Mrs. Moffat was telling us that this house would be ideal for expanding her business and that the accommodation would be much better, we, her guests, that is, were unanimous in taking up the challenge of the unknown and joining her. Naturally, Mr. Crown, I had to consult my guests, because they too must have heard the stories about the house. I couldn't afford to lose such respected clientele if they felt, well, any qualms about the possibilities of specters appearing at the foot of their beds in the dead of night. <laughs> <laughs> and we were proved right, for since moving here, nothing has happened. Nothing at all? <laughs> well... Something has, then. There is an explanation, as I pointed out to Dr. Hammond. What was it? It happened in my bedroom as I was washing before going to bed. The candle suddenly went out. A window was open. A breeze. The window was not open. And if it had been, the night, I recall, was still. I'm sure there is an explanation, but you haven't found one. Not as yet, no. It's an overactive mind caused by all that reading, Doctor. 
You're probably right, Mrs. Moffat. All of us have read up on supernaturalism, psychic research, and... What's the matter? Harold Crown, you said? Yeah. Are you the author of the history of supernaturalism that I've just read? For my sins, yes, I am. Good Lord, Mrs. Moffat, we have an author in our midst. And not only an author, but a specialist in spirits and expert in ghosts. I wouldn't call myself an expert. Tell me, Mr. Crown. Yes, Mrs. Moffat? What brought you to my establishment? How did you hear of its existence? From a friend. He stayed here then? No, uh, he'd heard the rumors, that's all. He had a house, the garden of which backed onto yours. Naturally, he could not help but hear the gossip. Oh, I see. But you do have business in New York. You see what Mrs. Moffat is doing, don't you, Crown? What's that? She's trying to find out the real reason for your coming here. Business? Or merely ghost hunting. <laughs> I suggest we move into the dining room. I think tea is going to be particularly interesting. <laughs> I can't wait to introduce Mr. Crown to them. I believe he's come here for one thing only. To try and catch our ghost. It was only after a month of psychological excitement that it was with the utmost dissatisfaction that I was forced, like my fellow boarders, to admit that nothing in the remotest degree approaching the supernatural manifested itself. I suppose I should have left there and then, for Mrs. Moffat and Dr. Hammond were right. I had come to the house in order to seek out the strange happenings which had been reported to me. But I struck up a great and deep friendship with Dr. Hammond, whom I discovered had a secret vice, the same as mine, in fact. It was a discovery I made as I smoked my pipe in the garden one evening after dinner. Harry, forgive me for asking. Yes, Stephen? What is it? I thought so. Well, what's the matter? My friend, we share a common interest. I wasn't sure at first, but now... You smoke opium. Well, yes. Yes, I do. But please, don't mention it to Mrs. Moffat. I don't think she... My dear Stephen, I... You don't mean... Regularly. Usually alone in my room. Or when I'm outside, walking in the streets or parks. This is wonderful, Harry. I've smoked it for some time now. So have I, at least two years. That's marvelous. My dear friend, do not leave this house without us smoking at least once together. We can share our experience. I would find it scientifically interesting to see whether its effects are the same on two different individuals or whether its effects are common to all, irrespective of mental and physical abilities. What do you say? I would be happy to, my dear friend. We enjoyed together those wonderful moments when our thoughts expanded, our perceptive facilities intensified, and when our bounds of existence exploded so that we were able to touch all points of the universe. But the hours which the doctor and I spent together were regulated with scientific accuracy. We did not blindly smoke the drug of paradise and leave our dreams to chance. 
We talked calmly, steering our conversation through the brightest and calmest channels of thought. We talked of art, poetry, and literature. When we spoke of Shakespeare's Tempest, we lingered over Ariel, never Caliban. Until one evening, when we had talked some time upon the mysticism and the almost universal love of the terrible, Stephen Hammond suddenly said to me, Harry, what do you consider to be the greatest element of terror? What do you mean, my dear friend? Come, come, Harry. Surely the question is a simple one. Well, there are many things that would frighten me, terrify me. Stumbling over a corpse in the dark. Beholding, as I once did, a woman floating down a deep and rapid river with wildly lifted arms and awful upturned face shrieking in fear as she died in the freezing waters. I must say, Stephen, I've never considered the subject before. I cannot therefore attempt even the most vague definition. Well, I am somewhat like you, Harry. I feel my capacity to experience a terror greater than anything yet conceived by the human mind. Something combining in fearful and unnatural amalgamation hitherto supposed incompatible elements. Look, I think we should stop talking like this. We shall suffer for it, depend on it. I don't know what's the matter with me tonight, but my brain is running upon all sorts of weird and awful thoughts. I'm off to bed. Opium and nightmares should never be brought together. How sultry it is anyway. Good night, Stephen. Good night, Harry. Pleasant dreams to you. To you, gloomy wretch. Visions of ghouls and enchanters. <laughs> we parted, and each went to his respective chamber. I undressed and got into bed. I resolved to go to sleep, turned down my gas lamp so that only a little blue point of light glimmered at the top of the tube. I composed myself to rest. And then... Dear God, even recalling the incident now makes me shudder and recoil. Something awful happened. My God, what's that? Get off me. God's sake, what's happening? Let me go. For God's sake, let me go. The light. I must turn off the light. My throat. Take your hands from my throat. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Oh, my God. Leave me alone. Where are you? Where are you? I can't see. Dear God, I cannot see. I can hear you, but I can't see you. Take your hands off me. Let go of me. Help. Help. Assassin. Please, someone. I've got you. I've got you. Stay still. Stay absolutely still. While I turn the light up. Oh, 
shudder now as I think of that terrifying moment. For I saw nothing. I had one arm firmly clasped round a breathing, panting, corporeal shape. My other hand gripped with all its strength, a throat as warm and apparently fleshy as my own. And yet, with this living substance in my grasp, with its body pressed against my own and the bright glare of a large jet of gas, I beheld absolutely nothing, not even an outline, a vapor. My God! Harry, what's going on in here? Stephen, help me! Harry? What's, what's happened? What, what, what are you doing? Come closer. For God's sake, come closer. I can hold this thing down only a short time longer. What? Hold his arm down. There. His arm is there. It's gradually overpowering me. Help me, for God's sake, help me. Harry, there's nothing there. You've been smoking too much opium. I swear to you, Stephen, this is no vision. Don't you see how my whole body shakes as it struggles beneath me? Please, Stephen, if you're not convinced, feel it, touch it. Harry, please, there is nothing there. Can't you hear it? Breathe. Listen. Harry, please. Listen, damn you. Harry, you'll have Mrs. Moffat. Listen. That's you. Oh, touch it. Feel it. Go on, Stephen. Do as I say. Feel its arm. There, its head. Go on. All right. All right. Oh, my God. You felt it? Flesh and bone, sinew and blood. My God, Harry, what what, what is it? In the cupboard, man. Over there. A length of cord. I cannot hold it much longer. We'll tie him up with a cord. But, but, but there's nothing there. We, 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 we get the see. cord, for God's sake, before he gets free again. Yeah. And the cord, Harry. Well, go on. Tie him up. Tie the, the thing or whatever it is up. Very well. His hands are there. Now tie them first. Hurry. I'm weakening. I can feel the hands. God, hurry. We ought to get help. Harry. Now the other hand. Please, Stephen, hurry. What are you going to do? Now pull the hands together. Then we'll tie the feet. He nearly got free then. Quickly, Stephen, tie the feet together. I feel sick. Harry, I'm going to be sick to touch something and not do it. Stephen, for heaven's sake, man, just do it. All right, Harry. You may let go of the, 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 the thing. Can't move. It's all right, Stephen. No, 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 no. It, it's the opium. It, it's affected both of us. We took too much. Oh, isn't that... It exists. How can, how can a living, a solid living body be, be, be invisible? I don't know, my friend. But now it is bound and cannot hurt us, I propose to find out. Stephen! What? There is something there. See? The indentation on the sheet. It moves and struggles with the ropes. I cannot watch. 
my friend, you are witnessing a miracle. Don't you realize the first visible signs of a being from another world? A world we know nothing of that has shape and form like us, but we cannot see. You say it like us, but how do you know? I don't know, of course. Look, look let us sit down and think this out. Oh, no, please, Stephen, I need your help. You're a doctor. Your views could be useful to me. Now, we've got over the first shock. Now, it's, it's time to use our heads to think what to do. What scientific value we can expose to the world. You, you don't intend to tell me like this has occurred since, since the birth of the world. I know not what to think at this precise moment. Oh, God grant that I am not mad and that this is not some insane fantasy. All right, Harry. Now, let us reason. A little. Good man. Now, here is a solid body which we touch, but which we cannot see. Now, the fact is so unusual that it, it strikes us with terror. Is there no parallel for such a phenomenon? Uh, take a piece of pure glass... It is tangible but transparent. Uh, a certain chemical coarseness is all that prevents its being entirely transparent as to be totally invisible. Uh, we do not see the air, but we breathe it, feel it. Uh, that's all very well, Stephen, but these are inanimate substances. Glass does not breathe. Air does not breathe. This thing has... Has a heart that palpitates, a will that moves it, lungs that play and inspire and respire. Listen! You hear it breathe? It sleeps. Oh. But you forget. You forget the phenomena of which we have heard so often of late. At, at the meetings called spirit circles, invisible hands have been thrust into the hands of those persons around the table. Warm, fleshy hands that seem to pulsate with normal life. Then, like me, you think that this thing is... I, I, I don't know what it is. But please the gods, I will, with your assistance, thoroughly investigate it. Tomorrow morning, 
When the house is astir, when Mrs. Moffat has the rooms clean, we can't leave it here. It's asleep now, but tomorrow when it wakes up... We shall have to pretend that I'm ill. Gone down with a fever. You, you can say that you think it ill-advised for anyone to enter the room for the time being, apart from yourself. Stephen, I've just had a marvelous idea. What? A setting of plaster. What, what are you talking about? By covering it with a setting of plaster, we shall be able to determine its form. That's all right if it remains still, Harry, but look how it struggled with you. Look at the strength it contains. The plaster would never set. Oh, then... And we have to find a way of keeping it still. Tying it down doesn't totally prevent movement. Chloroform. That's a good idea. If it'll work. Why shouldn't it? If, if it... If he has the same senses, feeling as a human being, why not, Stephen? We ought to tell Mrs. Moffat. The others have a right to know. When we have the answer, Stephen. Now, now look. Tomorrow morning, you, you tell them I'm ill. And it will be necessary for you to remain in my room all day in order to keep my fever down. Now, bring the chloroform and plaster. Tomorrow, we'll know. We'll know what lies there. And then... Only then can we truly explain to the world what we have discovered. And so it was. All day we worked silently in my bedroom so that Mrs. Moffat would not suspect. The lie having been communicated to the rest of the guests, Dr. Hammond returned to my room with the chloroform and the plaster. By this time the thing had woken up. It struggled at its fettles, breathing deeply and angrily. We chloroformed it. And within minutes it fell silent. We managed to undo the rope, and then, carefully, slowly we covered it in the plaster. Never was anything revealed that was so horrible. So, even now I feel sick at the thought of it. It was shaped like a man, distorted, uncouth, and horrible, but still a man. It was small, not over four feet high, and its limbs revealed development that was unparalleled. It had the physiognomy of what I should fancy a ghoul might be. It looked as if it were capable of feeding on human flesh.
several days passed. The most distressing part of the affair was that we were entirely ignorant of what the creature habitually fed on. Everything in the way of nutriment that we could think of was placed before it, but was never touched. It was awful to stand by and hear the hard breathing and know that it was becoming hungrier, hungrier, weaker and weaker. Finally, on the tenth day, he died. The thing died at half past two exactly, and the sudden silence in my room was deafening. Keeping the plaster cast. A scientific evidence. No one will believe you. I'll have to risk it. Come on, let's fill it in. What's the matter now? I was just thinking. I sat there last night in my room and watched it die. I actually sat there and watched another human being die. Human? Well, Stephen, if it wasn't human, what was it? James O'Brien, starring Peter Marinka as Harry, Blaine Fairman as Hammond, and Helen Horton as Mrs. Moffat. Haunted was adapted and directed by Derek Hodinot. A man, a ghoul, from this world, from another, from the next world. There is nothing left but questions and a plaster cast that would seem to give some grotesque shape to the impossible. Not to be categorized, not to be understood, more cracks in the foundation. Thank you for joining me in the Nerve Rackin Auditorium, and I hope you'll come again. But now it's time for you to rejoin the uh, real world. I am Lord Bloodraw, and I'll be waiting here for you in the shadows of your mind until the next time you seek the darkness. Good night. <laughs>